In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, my friend, Alan Fountain. Good day, Carla. Good day. Good day. Well, your voice is exceptionally deep. <laughs> I mean, it's already yeah. deep. My, <laughs> you must have been dog, talking a lot or something. My dog can't hear me. It's a problem. <laughs> yeah, you're funny. Oh, well, this is going to be a really fun po- Actually, this entire podcast series, I think, has been a lot of fun because uh-huh. there's books in here I haven't read for 20 years, you know, <laughs> and uh, going back through and looking at them. And then looking through a completely different lens than when I first uh, read the books. I think both of us have been going through that and um, getting some really big ahas that we wish we would have had when we launched our yes. businesses and helped others as well. So we're going to talk today uh, about a book called Emith. And it's going to be a two-part series because the author, Michael Gerber, did record a second podcast or um, not recorded podcast. He did. Uh, there you go. Wrote a second book. And he, he, he identified a lot of the same things, but then he really focused on um, systems and things like that, that we'll talk about um, tomorrow. So the book was published in 1986. And what it really the crux of, I think what Gerber says in this book is that 80% of of businesses fail for a reason and we need to look at those reasons and he had some really neat ahas especially this book was I mean 1986 that was quite a long time ago and at the time you have to look how business was done which is very different than today we didn't have you know people strategies and culture it was you know right. do it, do it yeah. right and so for this podcast the title is going to be e-mess and uh, Alan you can obviously say why <laughs> entrepreneurial mess yes because uh well, well we'll see but it's kind of you know our mission here is to review these books and and if you're frustrated because you weren't able to implement the, the ideas in it they're good ideas we like the books but uh, then there always kind of has a little twist on it and that's a, sort of the the darker side so the e-myth becomes the e-mess Yes, because E-Myth is entrepreneurial myth. That's what it, what it stands for. So, all right. And actually, we didn't even use the word. I mean, the word entrepreneur is a French word, I believe. And it's a very old word, but we didn't really say that a lot, nope. you know, back in the 80s. It wasn't until probably mid-90s where it became a little bit more popular. And now, of course, out of the Bay Area, you everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. But not everybody should be just a yeah, so we'll get into that a little bit today too. And so the other part that Gerber looks at is if you don't want to be in that 80% of business and startups that fail, that you need to be systems dependent, not people dependent. So we're not, Andy talks about systems dependent versus expert dependent, have the lowest level employee, team member. We'll talk about how a team member doesn't need to be an employee, uh, which it was probably back in the day. You ne- you didn't see Fiverr where you could right. find a great person anywhere in the world that could do one little part of the work. It just didn't exist. And so 
essentially, we won't talk about as much of that, but I think that was a really big aha as well. Because remember, everybody worked for large corporations. They kind of, it wasn't like, oh, I, there were a lot of solopreneurs, I would say, maybe like real estate agents and things. But most people had that focus of go, get a degree, and get a good job. Get a job. And they stayed there for forever. Yep. Gold watch. Yes, exactly. And so one of the things I believe too, and Alan, you can jump in here because you actually have been the person that a long time ago where we started talking about Deming and he was this incredible systems guy. And um, he basically identified that 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. And so if you're not process focused, then you're going to have a big, big challenge being able to implement anything for that matter, but then also get to the replicatable ability that Buffett likes, right? I hate innovation because why? He wants to find something to make money and just hit repeat, 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 repeat. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, and there's a, an actual illustration of the difference between people failure and process failure and you imagine a hard-nosed CEO they probably called him a company president at the time instead of a CEO uh, who walks into uh, the plant where they're doing the manufacturing and says hey there's oil on the floor who's to blame here you know you always want to find out who it is so that they get blamed sufficiently or punished or whatever and uh, the manager of the uh, manufacturing facility who was very well steeped in Deming and quality and process versus people say, you know, that's not exactly the right question. It's not who's responsible for oil being on the floor, but just simply why is there oil on the floor? That's the correct question. And of course, a big tool for quality still is, is called Ishikawa diagram you ask mm -hmm. five levels of why they also call it a fishbone diagram almost a kawasaki diagram mm -hmm. so uh ishikawa and uh, so so they actually did that on the floor of the manufacturing thing the president says okay i'll ask why is there oil on the floor you know being kind of smug and thinking he's going to get to punish the whoever it was anyway and uh so the answer was the machine leaks Mm -hmm. machine that the oil is next to and he said well okay let's do another level of why second level of why why does the machine leak well the answer was it had a bad gasket so that was number three question number three level of why is why is there a bad gasket and it's, <laughs> and it's really starting to enjoy this and he's getting more smug and smug well why is there a bad gasket then and um <laughs> so the uh, manager said uh, well, we uh, we had to cut some cost out of the machine, so we decided that we could live with bad gaskets. He said, oh, well, why did you have to cut cost out of the machine? <laughs> he said, well, sir, you gave us an order to cut, cut all our budgets 10% across the board, and uh, when we reduced it, that's uh, one of the places we had to reduce it. Love that. Was a, that's he, goes, a he goes, oh, <laughs> So a little embarrassed. <laughs> well, that's that whole anytime you're pointing the finger at someone else, there's always four pointing back at you. That's right. Absolutely. You. 
And so that's, and, and, and this is what we see. Everyone wants to find somebody to blame. And I would think it was even more extensive back in the day than it is now. Um, and so in looking at that, and we'll get back to the, the process and then also overlaying the entrepreneurial model that he talks about and the three different quote unquote personalities of business. I also wanted to identify two other things I thought that he did differently back then that has become almost common. You need to have this and not that people do it by the way, because that's what we're talking about here. Everyone knows they need a business plan. Everybody. There's not one person in business doesn't know it, but it's ridiculous how few people actually have it. And so I think in the e-myth, he also identifies like business model, business model, business model. And I think it was interesting because, uh, and, he, and, he, and he starts it with the talking about the entrepreneurial model that companies need to be customer centric. Um, and then how do you differentiate yourself so that you can stand out from all the other businesses, right? That are serving that same exact customer. And Ellen, I'll, I'll let you jump on that because I want to, at least before we move on to the three different personalities, really take a look at that because I think it's critical. Um, but I think then it was unique, right? This is 1986. Yeah. And so everyone is having these big ahas because they hadn't heard it 50 times over again. Uh, I think that was one of the reasons why the book was so successful. Uh, I also think we need to get into the reason why you still read the book and you I think I read this book seven times and, and I would just get more frustrated because I was 21 years or 20 years old. So just dying on how I could, you know, get things done, even though I knew that it needed to be done. And I agreed with the strategy and the concept. Yeah. So, the, so the other thing he talked about, uh, and we're not going to get into this today, but I thought it was something in the book that was unique at the time was the franchise prototype that he talks about. Because thinking about it, at that time, only McDonald's had really been a real true, you know, franchise prototype. Now everybody uses that as an example. Um, and the last piece he talked about was what they called in the book, a proprietary operating system. That just means what are you doing to make yourself different so that you can, again, go back and make your business customer centric. Because Alan, don't you remember when businesses weren't customer centric? If you were the little guy, you didn't, like, they weren't worried about making you happy because you didn't have many options. Yes, I remember the old uh, laughing thing that Lily Tomlin did where she was the phone operator and she says, uh, uh, we don't care. We don't have to. We're the phone company. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a time was when so they just didn't care whether the customer lived or died. And uh, so but it, I think also a really key piece in here is you mentioned it a couple times is standing out from all the other businesses. And uh, that's another thing that especially large companies are uncomfortable with being different. And it's, you know, it's, it's moving today. People, a lot more people are starting to realize the value, but I think one of the key pieces of research comes out of, and we've mentioned this a couple of times along the way in our lives is uh, the blue ocean strategy by Renee Maborn and uh, W. Chan Kim, where they uh, did the research and they found out only 14% of the companies play in what they call uncontested market space. That means, you know, no competitors because they're so different. 14% of the companies, or 86% of the companies don't even have any significant part of their business that even plays in uncontested market space. 
But the interesting thing, the value, why would I want to be different? Well, those who have uncontested market space that may be 14% of the companies, but more than they, uh, they get way more than their share of the revenue. They 14% gets 33% of the revenue. And then they get 61% of the profit. Uh -huh. That's four times the profit. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, just simply by being different. And one of the things about being different, it's hard to do. And uh, it's one of the things we help people do because it's one thing to conceive of an idea that makes you different, but to implement it is very, very different. There you go. And a different, uh, implementing a mediocre idea is better than implementing a different idea, especially when you're balancing all the four core natures of work. Yep. At least and you so, got something. And so the book also talks about, so I, I mentioned the business model. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is balancing the business personalities I mentioned, the entrepreneur, manager, and technician, because I think that was a big aha. However, in the book, they say you have to be all three. And I've never met somebody that does all those three things <laughs> well. And a couple of the other things that it talks about is don't own a business or don't own a job, own a business. Uh, and so, but I, I think that that is so common talk these days. But I don't want to yeah. go too much into that because- right. Everybody knows they need a business model. Everybody knows they need to take care of their customers, especially with online, you know, um, everybody can get a hold of anybody yeah. and write something negative. Nope. Heck, they do it for sport on Yelp. I was just gonna go there. It's like another business writes about another business, you know, and, which is horrible to do. But unfortunately, that is just the uh, information age that we live in. And so what we're gonna talk about is the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician. And how these three personas, so I'll explain them real briefly, even, even though most people probably understand. The entrepreneur is the visionary. This guy lives in the future or gal lives in the future. Innovator, they're typically very creative and they want to be in control of everything. When I think of an entrepreneur that's a typical entrepreneur, I think of Steve Jobs. Everybody knows who he was yep. when he pressed the envelope, right? So we're going to the most extreme uh, entrepreneur just for the example since everybody knows it. Now you've got the manager. This is somebody who lives in the past, right? They're pragmatic, they're a planner, they like to organize, they wanna to stick to the status quo. Managers like order because they, that's what they're responsible for. When things go wrong, that's the person, that's you know, the, the um, leadership is gonna to go to. And then you have the technician. So a technician is somebody who lives in the present. I know that we call our technician on one of our teams a tinkerer and he's the ultimate and he's actually an electronic technician and he, they love to um, work on one thing at a time and and you can think of a technician the way they roll it out in the book I thought it was a good example is that if you are good at baking muffins that doesn't mean you're going to be great at running um, the business so the technician is the, the baker and, and, and what they're trying to differentiate is between each of these and then the business owner. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. It's interesting from, uh, from our point of view too, because this is like one of those things where they'll, they'll take, uh, something that we, you know, Hey, the old model is, you know, it's your job here. It is in its entirety now do it all. And so, so what uh, Gerber has done is kind of zoomed in a little bit and identified these three, uh, three roles. And one of the things is that we would say that that's great. He just didn't do it enough. He didn't zoom in enough. 
and uh, so what one of the things we did is overlaid our our uh, core natures of people onto these these uh, designations that he gave it entrepreneur manager and technician and, and you find out that the entrepreneur that person who lives in the in the future is most ideally probably a combination shaker mover the shaker is someone who comes up with the ideas mover is the one who chooses the best idea sets priorities on how it's going to get done and you know perfect description of steve jobs shaker mover mover shaker combination so that's a very different person from the person who's the manager a great manager who lives in the past uh pragmatic doesn't want to doesn't want to do something that's going to be a disaster and they can kind of kind of look around corners and know what's going to go wrong well that person is ideally that manager is ideally a prover because they'll just do the things that make sense and you know they don't uh, take unnecessary risks etc and then you get to the technician and that's usually some kind of a combination of a prover and a maker you know the maker being the person who really does the details prover knows what's going to go wrong and that's the person who uh, lives in the present and doesn't get bored with the how-to because by the time you're down to the technician level you know you're writing code or you're or you're doing little tiny details and you're repeating them over and over and you can imagine uh you and i were basic combinations of movers and shakers how bored we would get and how restless we would get doing these details so oh uh, yeah i think that's critical and i think the other thing you you uh, that you said that was really brilliant there was that they're going to be one or a combination of them and understanding yeah. that as well but also that the mover is no other model identifies the mover right and right. and they have a very unique way of working differently in ideation implementation on getting it done because the first thing is going to be what are we going to do the second thing is what are we going to how are we going to do it and so it's the when and the who that's missing in getting things done right so i, I and i think that is really an interesting uh role and core nature of work to understand and how to find them it's not that we don't need everybody we need everybody we need you at different times but it's just like finding the point guard on your basketball team Who's that one that's going to work uniquely and also appreciate everybody else's core nature of work, then pick the best idea or set of ideas and set the priority. One of the things I always say, being a big mover, there's people that I never liked working with, but I appreciated the work that they do. And so there is no personality issue because we like to call it a personality issue. It's what part of the work do you do? Because the, the, the object of the exercise is to get something done and it removes that resistance and so i was just saying the ideation right what are we going to do your mover plays that point guard and balances it out and uses a process to get 100 percent buy-in now you move to your implementation and that's going to be your prover in some way shape or form playing the um, them playing the point guard and going back and forth to make sure everybody stays you know in no their way. own unique lane because you i have said this so many times you can't commingle the animals you throw everybody in a room we've been in those meetings that's why there's a book called death by meeting because you're just throwing everybody in a room saying oh good luck with that 
<laughs> it doesn't work out so well. We've been in those meetings. Everybody's been in those meetings. We've sat and just observed those meetings <laughs> to give yeah. feedback. So, so when, when we say that the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician doesn't go zoom in close enough, it doesn't go far enough, what this means is if you don't do that and you identify these so-called roles of entrepreneur, manager, and technician, these people are going to be doing their peak work part of the time, what they're really great at. But then the surprise, what they're doing flows as time passes, they're going to work their way. Their success is going to work their way right into failure because they're going to, they're going to run into parts of the work that need to be done that aren't what they're good at, that mm -hmm. aren't what they love. And, uh, and that's, a, that's job problematic. Description. What needs to be done? That's it. Nothing else to take into consideration right. about somebody's core nature of work. And, and, and one of the things that it, that fit and sequence, I know that's what you call it. And yes. I always call it input output, but the fit and sequence of the input to the shaker is reality. So they're saying, okay, there's something that needs to get done here. It's some idea that needs to be uh, applied. The output is ideas. Well, the input for a mover is ideas and the output for the mover is the plan. The input for the prover is the plan and the output is reality. And so you can, and, and ideation, you don't even get the maker involved yet because you're gonna stress them out. And so you come up with what to do, get that buy-in and use the process, and then you pull the maker into it during implementation and the maker has this amazing ability to repeat the same thing after they've been given it and like the order of doing that that drives all the other ones the prover can do the same thing over but they really like to make the rules they like to say this is what we're going to do and they're so patient they don't have a challenge working with the maker to repeat 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 so that just tells us alan in that whole your your business in what gerber's saying here is you have to be systems driven if you do not get to the maker work You'll, right. You can't repeat in a, in a way where 70% of people don't hate their jobs. And now all of a sudden you're into that whole disengagement and all those other words that we've thrown at this in the last 50 years. And that I think is super critical and how, you know, how each of those roles are, are different and how we, we want to call it a personality issue when really it's just, you don't understand what part of the work that that person does and everybody's asked to do everything versus taking it into their consideration what their, as you called it, weak work and peak work are. Yes. And, and, and it's an interesting thing here too, what you just outlined too, because it's sort of like a, uh, a, a game of dominoes where you would lay out these little things so that, so that the, uh, the right side of one would match the left side of the next one. That's how they fit together. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing here when you're handing off uh, uh, an idea, uh, a shaker has to hand it off to a mover. Otherwise there's trouble. Uh, and a, a lot of that has to do with the law of diffusion of innovation, where the 16% uh, of the people are innovators, meaning they love new ideas, they'll try anything, and uh, 30, uh, I'm sorry, 16% uh, are uh, innovators and early adopters, uh, and then the next 34% is early majority, and they get a little more skeptical, and then uh, late majority gets uh, uh, 
practical and then the laggers just won't, you know, they're not going to buy anything. They're going to have, you know, dials on their phones and stuff like that. So you, you got to really pay attention on who you're handing off your piece of the uh, share of the work to. And that's why it's nice to have a system where things match and the, you know, my, you know, we work together. Why? Cause my output matches your input. I come up with ideas, your input is ideas, you pick the best one, you make a plan for it, and uh, then your output is the plan, and the, uh, then the prover looks at the plan and comes up with everything that goes wrong. Now, this is based on what we call red, green, and yellow light matches. And uh, what you want to have is green light matches all the way around, which is, uh, it's a perfect, perfect relationship for a handoff. And so uh, why, why is that important? Well, first of all, take a look at the red light matches. Here's, here's the harm, here's the problem. Shaker hands an idea off to a red light relationship and that's a prover. So Shaker comes up with the idea and what does the prover say? That's not gonna that's work. That's not gonna work. <laughs> Shaker says, well, how about this then? Oh no, we tried that before. Yeah, they'll do it in the same meeting and just get so frustrated. Oh yeah, zero sum game. And, and shakers and makers are even worse because you don't get that clear communication. Hey, I've got an idea and the maker says, uh, excuse me, uh, I, I think I'm in the wrong meeting here. You know, yeah. I've got to go, uh, I've, I've got to yeah. lunch. I just, I just got to do, go do some real work. Yes, right. Why are you even, hang, why are you even telling me this? Just uh, it makes me uncomfortable. And movers and makers are our red light relationship because they're the, they're the two doers. And uh, the, the mover is an early adopter doer, which means, hey, let's get something new done. And the maker says to the mover, come on, you're moving too fast. Don't pressure me. We just got everything running smoothly. You're not going to bring that in here and disrupt everything. So you want to avoid those things. And that's why you go to green light relationships. So shakers and movers, the early adopters have a green light relationship with each other. Provers and makers uh, have a green light relationship with each other. And they're the late adopters. So uh, uh, they both, they, they like the same things. They can talk well and one's a thinker and one's a doer. So it's a match made in heaven. Now, the problem is that big chasm that Jeffrey Moore talks about in crossing the chasm where you can't get things from early adopters to later adopters without crossing this giant chasm. And that's why we have the yellow light relationship that makes all of this possible. And that is the movers and the provers. They look at each other and they say, oh yeah, you know, I, I understand you. And um, they can get along okay. They don't love each other like the green light ones, but it's just enough where they can, they can respect each other. Yeah, they build that bridge because they need each other so much to stay sane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and then the other last ones that you would think, as I always say, man, I love movers. I love movers. Well, movers love movers. That's a green light relationship. But shakers, understanding the law of diffusion of innovations, Alan, that you're talking about, 110 years of marketing research, everybody has known that you use it for your client, which this book talks about, customer-centric, right? Everything built around your client, but they forgot to do it with the team that's actually serving the client. Yep. And there's one little piece there that, that really doesn't go with red light and green light. 
but usually you have a green light relationship with somebody who's the same as you. Hey, you know, that guy thinks like me. Oh, she's just like me. I like her. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is one group where that can be dangerous and you ought to know about it. And that is shakers and shakers together. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a shaker. I go to lunch with another shaker. By the end of the lunch, we'll have started a business. And of course, nothing will happen. But even worse, even worse is that we're in a meeting now and my ideas are competing with her ideas. And so now it's like, well, I don't, I don't care what we do as long as it's my idea. You know, so yeah. or or they'll just assume later on with work. And I love my shakers. Let me tell you, I love I love them all. I love all the coordinators of work because you need everybody to make it run smooth. However, I can't tell you how many times shaker will just like adopt the thing and think that they came up with it and just run over. It, it was like, wait a second here, and especially with. Yeah, it, it, and especially with the mover, because that's their input source, right? Mm -hmm. So, And they don't realize, well, they got feedback back, and this happened, so they can really play a tug of war there. Uh, and so it's just really important to be aware of that, because that's why you get mass chaos, and then we want to call it culture. Yeah, and, and, and there's something that shakers do, actually, this is sort of a solution to that problem, is because, uh, you know, they're the, they're the originators of not invented here, so it's not my idea, it's not going to go. But what happens is, and this is a beautiful part of the hoodoo, and that is, you know, if the, uh, if the prover raises an issue or says there's a problem, then you go back to the shaker to get ideas to correct the problems. Oh, we can't do that. It's illegal in 18 states. And the shaker says, uh, oh, why don't, uh, that must mean it's legal in 32. Why don't we launch in the 32 states? We'll lobby in the 18 because, you know, it uh, laws change. Well, now that shaker who just came up with a solution to the problem with the original shaker's idea <laughs> now owns that idea. And so now both of them own it because one of them created originally and one of them imprinted it. Yep. And that's the way, that's the solution to shaker on shaker idea. Yep. And that's when you have and understand that the role and the function is completely different that individuals will fill. And remember, the functions we're talking about here is entrepreneur, manager, and technician, because you're going to have all those dumped into these meetings, is that you have to understand that those are different type of individuals and how to facilitate that. Because the whole premise of this book is, okay, 80 to 90% of businesses fail. And the reason they fail is because they're trying to be oneers, which is 1% of the population. Yeah. So essentially, all of the work is made for 1% of the population. And why do so many people hate what they do? Because you're, you're not making the work fit the person, you're making the person fit the work. And if I'm a business owner and I'm gonna come to you, or I'm reading this book, and I say, you have to understand entrepreneur, manager, and technician, well, everyone can do that. But not everybody is gonna do that well in those three roles. Right, and I think that's too broad. It's too broad. And then that was me getting frustrated. And then people think, oh, I have to hire a manager. Those it's, days are long gone too as well. And that's probably another reason why I couldn't zoom in enough because there wasn't as many opportunities, right? You'd have to go out and, you know, get a loan and take a little bit more risk than you probably would have to today. We didn't have the online stuff. But I think that is the critical part about why businesses fail because you need four different core natures of work. And, how and to let work me together. clarify one thing too, that the one we call it the one because it's the 1% of the population who can actually do all the shaker, mover, prover, and maker 
work. They're not great at any of those, but they can do them all. But it's only 1% of the people, which means that 100% of the work is designed for only 1% of the work. The other 99% are going to run into trouble. And that's why it's so important to rethink the way we work and not make a person change themselves to fit the work, but change the work to fit the person. Yay! And then you have happy people. And then you don't have to spend happy. billions and billions and billions of dollars on messing up or having people not be happy, having disengagement, you know, and all that training that for 50 years they haven't been able to figure it out. It's because you have to understand how to make the work fit the people. So here's the new complaining se session. Are you ready? Yeah. What's the problem? I don't know. I'm happy. <laughs> there is none or just and it's just knowing for each person where to go to get what they need it's because you know, it's like and we talked about this in a in a different podcast alan where people cancel out each other if you don't use the process if you don't utilize the law of diffusion diffusion of innovations in the hoodoo method what happens is you cancel each other out. You're stepping on each other and you're, you aren't allowed to appreciate the difference that the entrepreneur brings, the manager brings, and the technician brings to the table and who they are. So you not only are you not liking your job, you're not appreciating people and holding them in their brilliance. You're irritated and that's where all the politics and all that stuff happen around, around the office. Absolutely. So what we want to do is clean up the e-mess. There you go. So thanks again uh, for joining me on this podcast. This is a really fun one because I knew so, I mean, I remember this book. I read it seven times. So uh, it was really interesting to read it again and go through it and kind of look at it from a different lens because I haven't read it. Uh, I haven't returned to it uh, in quite some time. So if you'd like to learn more about the hoodoo method and the process or listen to our previous podcasts, you can find us at the people catalyst, that is plural.com. And we will be doing part two of this series because we all know that Michael Gerber did e-myth revisited. However, that's not going to be the name of our podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. It's going to be F this revisited because <laughs> that's how most people felt when they read the second book and couldn't get the first one done. Yes. So uh, uh, it should be a raucous podcast. Yeah. Until we meet again, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life. <laughs>